Hey gang, it's John. Thanks for listening to this bonus episode of The Hustle. Last year, one of the best music documentaries I've seen in a really long time came out called Hired Gun. So if you're like me, any documentary at all relating to anything pertaining to music is of interest to you. Well, this one is what it sounds like. It's about the musicians who are behind the big artists that we all know. In fact, a common thread, sort of the spine of this movie is Billy Joel and his band of the 70s and 80s. So imagine this, you're fairly obscure and you get a job playing with Billy Joel and he becomes one of the biggest artists in the world. So you're playing in front of hundreds of thousands of people, staying in five-star hotels, traveling first class, eating nice food, making money, and then suddenly Billy Joel decides on a whim to end it and you're fired and you will probably never get a job as good as the one you just had. What do you do? Imagine how that must play on the emotions and the psyches of these people. So I had a conversation with the film's director, Fran Strine. We talked about how he came up with this idea, how he settled on some of the people he talks to. He talks to Jason Newstead, Kenny Aronoff, Rudy Sarzo, Ray Parker Jr., Liberty DeVito, all these great people And we hear their stories, and it is fascinating. I gotta say, I came away from this thinking, Fran's got this figured out. I wanna do what Fran is doing, or I will just go fetch Fran's coffee. Whatever he needs me to do, I wanna join the Fran Strine Circus. I think we had a very provocative, interesting conversation. If you have not seen this movie, I promise you, you will want to see it by the time this is over. I purposely didn't wanna give away every highlight of the film so there's lots for you to discover when you see it yourself but I know you're going to enjoy this and please go seek out the movie and after you've seen it let me know what you think at the end of this conversation stick around because there's a giveaway and I'm going to give you the details at the end of this okay and I have to give a thanks to Pat Francis of the Rock Solid podcast he's the one who pointed me in their direction and put me in touch or gave me the contact information for Fran's people I would say thank you to Pat, but I know he doesn't listen to this podcast, so it doesn't matter anyway. Fran called me from his home in Northern California. I got to know, I've seen the movie a couple of times. I think it's wonderful. There's so many good insights in there. What made you, I believe this is your first real feature film. What made you decide this, to make this? Yeah, Yeah, I had done several other documentaries I mean, they were still high pressure because I was hired by the record labels to create like uh, companion pieces for for when people are still buying CDs, really. You mm-hmm. know, like the, the making of type DVDs, you know, with bands like Stained. You know, I worked with those guys real close for about eight years, not only in the studio with them, like for the entire record cycle, you know, right. building process, but uh, the touring as well as their video photographer guy. Uh, they caught on really early to the importance of having, 
you know, somebody out there to capture stuff for social media when record stops, you know, selling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, same thing with a band called Seether, uh, Nickelback, you know, a few other bands. Okay. And uh, I, I was out with, uh, and I'd kind of semi-retired from from touring after a stained gig. I was just like, I moved up here to Northern California and just loved it and really wanted to, to take a year off and, and enjoy the scenery and, and, uh, you know, my fruits of labor. Sure. And, uh, I got a, I got an email from Zoltan Bathory from the band five finger death punch. Uh, and he'd heard some, you know, about my work and, and, uh, had asked if I wanted to come out with them. They were looking for a guy hmm. and I politely declined at the time, uh, because I was just wanted to take time off and, you know, he reached out a couple more times uh, and then gave me an offer. I just couldn't refuse. You know, there's <laughs> smart decisions and there's decisions where you're just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a really good offer. So I took him up on it and went out with him for a good couple of years. And, uh, you know, approaching 50 years old at the time, mm-hmm. you know, there's no secret. Their singer's a maniac, you know, mm-hmm. and has substance abuse issues, which is unfortunate. Yeah. And, uh, you know, of course we wish him nothing but the best and, and the recovery. But uh, it was really bad at the time that I was with those guys. And I remember we're in Australia and he got arrested on a flight. Oh, no. Just thinking to myself, I'm like, man, I, I got to find my exit from this and, yeah. you know, pursue something different. I'm burnt out on the road. You know, I've, I've done it for a long time. And uh, by the time we got to Singapore, I remember sitting in the back of the bus. and I'm like, I, I, what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. You know, five more weeks. We still have to do Europe. When I get home, I want to be able to, you know, jump right back into something that I that I want to do. Right. So uh, I, I knew that I loved making films and telling stories, uh, but the stuff that I was doing for the record labels, you know, look, I enjoyed doing them, but it wasn't my project. You sure, know, it was something I was hard to do. And uh, you know, I had just seen the movie Twenty Feet from Stardom. If, mm-hmm. if uh, your listeners aren't familiar with that movie, it's about the backup singers. You know, mm-hmm. Stones to Bruce Springsteen to Sting, and it was done so well. It was a story I didn't know about, and I was like, "Well, there's got to be another one because I, I love working in music, you know, and, and talking about music." Mm-hmm. So I was like, maybe, "Maybe there's not really been one done about you know touring musicians, and of course there have been about session players with movies like Muscle Shoals and uh, right. The Wrecking Crew and a few of those others, but." you know, the touring aspect of it, not so much so. And uh, Hired Gun is kind of like a combination of those two. So I decided that uh, that would be my thing. And mm-hmm. uh, the only difference is it would be top shelf, you right, know, right. with uh, production quality, sound and everything else. So, I mean, I hit the ground running as soon as I landed back in the States. And that was probably in September, I guess. And, you know, early November, we were in production. That's amazing. Yeah. And I'm curious, you know, I, did you reach out to the, I mean, Jason Hook, who is in Five Finger Death Punch and in Hired Guns, he's one of the stars, I think, of Hired Guns, your movie. Wow. And um, he's so great and so thoughtful. Was Did you know a lot of these people and that's what got you interviews with people like Liberty DeVito and Steve Lukather? Because you're a first-time filmmaker, but I guess you're in the rock world doing right. some aspect of media. So were you able to get the interviews you wanted fairly easily? Oh yeah. Oh uh, good. Yeah. The, the toughest one was Steve Lukather actually like, I, you know, 
a lot of these guys I know or knew people that knew them. And once one person said yes, they all wanted to be in it, nice. except for Steve Lukather. You know, I was like, mm. you know, and he's the quintessential hired gun. You right. know what I mean? Such right. a great musician. It was just like, man, he goes, what, you know, and he was being cool about it. But he was just like, you know, I'm not interested in giving up my story for free when I can sell my story myself and make my own movie. I was like, okay, fair enough. I understand, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, once we got Jay Graydon, David Foster, Ray Parker mm-hmm. Jr., yeah. Kenny Ernoff, those those guys, he was just like, well, now I have to be in your damn movie. <laughs> You yes. got all my buddies in here. Now I have to do it. Right. I literally flew down to his place, uh, you know, from the Bay Area. He lives down, you know, in Los Angeles, uh, Christmas Eve day. No way. That was the only time I could get him. So I was just like, I'll be there, man. And, uh, man, he was fantastic. He and, uh, was. You know, and I, I feel bad that that group of guys from yeah. the second and hired gun, their stories are so big. There's just no way to. I know. To, what I really wanted to put into Hired Gun, you know, yeah. not taking anything away from Hired Gun is a great no, film. I know. But, but those guys, man, if you saw what's on the cutting room floor, just bows you over, you know. I believe it. Of everyone that was featured in your show, Lukather was the one that I thought he needs his own movie. He, I mean, Thriller alone. I didn't know. I mean, I knew he played on Thriller, but not the specifics around, you know, Beat It's not going to be a hit. And I played guitar and bass on the whole thing. And oh, I didn't yeah. know some of those details. He, he alone deserves his own movie. Oh, all these guys do, man. Ray Parker Jr. Let me tell you, oh. Ray Parker Jr. Has been traveling around the globe with me promoting hired gun, believe it or not. Really? Oh yeah. We've gone to Australia, Glastonbury, oh. uh, uh, you know, all over the States. And we just recently did a, you know, last week as early as last week, we went to four different cities showing the film to the Grammy voters at different Grammy chapters. Nice. Okay. Yeah, we went to Nashville, Chicago, San Francisco, uh, Los Angeles. And, you know, a lot of people know, you know, oh, he, okay, Ghostbusters, and maybe sure. a couple of hits of his own, you know, with the other woman and right. can't that or whatnot. But a lot of people don't know that, man, uh, you know, when he was a youngster growing up in Detroit, you know, 12 years old, his, his story was, he didn't play sports, didn't play mm-hmm. baseball, football, any of that good stuff, because he was just trying to survive, man. And mm-hmm. in Detroit, that in you know 1964, around that time, was when the whole civil unrest was happening uh, in Detroit, where the cops were literally killing you know African Americans. And uh, his goal was to get from school to home alive. I mean, oh, he, the cops would beat him down with batons, and you know, broke his leg once, and. Uh, so he just stayed in the house. His first instrument was clarinet, and he was just like, "Well, this is no fun blowing into it." You know, just like I'm going to play the guitar. He saw a guy on some show playing guitar, and that was it for him. So he started playing guitar, and by the time he was 14, man, he was touring with the Spinners. No way. Yeah, and I got to tell you, man, I was, I was, uh, we did a private screening of Hired Gun at Ray's house. And Steve Lukather was there, Jay Gray, and a lot of these guys. And uh, Steve Lukather and I were talking. He's like, man, Ray Parker is the greatest rhythm guitar player that has ever walked the planet. What? Oh, yeah. Wow. This is going from Lukather. And it's true, man. If you know, And Ray still, he doesn't have to play, man. The guy's got dump trucks of money. Really? Uh, we'll sit at his house, man, and he has to have a guitar in his hand. Oh, he just, my gosh. 
loves to play. But I mean, let's not forget, man, in the same breath, you know, yeah, he was out with the spinners, but then Stevie Wonder discovered him. I know. He was, I, I, I'm i a huge yeah. Stevie Wonder fan. He's all over Talking Book, which is one oh. of my favorite albums ever. And oh, so, yeah. yeah, I've been trying to get him to come on this show because my focus, you don't know this, the focus of the podcast is to talk, to talk to people that we love, but we don't hear from often enough. Yeah. Kind of find out how they build careers. You know, everyone knows who Ray Barker Jr. is, but other than your movie, I hadn't seen him, much of him, you know? Yeah. And so I've been trying to contact him, but I've never been successful. But anyway. Uh, look, I'll get you in touch with him, man. Oh, I would love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's great and has so many great stories. But, and also, man, I don't want to give all of his stories away because sure. uh, we got another uh, project come up. We're, we're working on together with Luke and all these guys. But nice. I'll tell you one more. Yeah. Uh, first hit that he wrote. He also wrote hits for people. Yeah. Um, his first hit that he wrote was at the age of 18, he wrote uh, You've Got the Love for Shaka Khan and Rufus. No, really? Dude, how do you come up with such a funky <laughs> look at the age of 18? Like, I, I even asked, I was like, dude, where? What you even yeah. make bar chords and do like Metallica riffs or whatever? But we're talking about the a funky, like, groovy riff. Oh, yeah. Teen. You've only been playing guitar since you were, what, 12? Oh, man six years and you're, you're coming up with this insane riff you know and he's yeah. like well, just you know, he just laughs basically <laughs> yeah man he's just so great and i didn't even know he wrote the leo sayer song uh you make me feel like dancing nobody does that's i didn't the, know that yeah mr telephone man yeah and you know, that's him uh just Crazy. some Barry White songs he wrote for, and nobody ever wrote a Barry White song ever. Like he was the first person and the only person ever write a song for Barry White. I had no idea. I mean, I thought I, I have a lot of the radio albums that he put out, some of the yeah. stuff, but I didn't know about those other songs that he wrote. That's amazing. Yeah, it's really cool, man. So I, I feel blessed to, to, to be surrounded by these guys, you know, the Jay Gradens, David Fosters. David Foster is another remarkable story. Oh, you know? no kidding. I've had enough people on here who have worked with him that uh, he's quite a character. Oh, big, yeah. A big ego, but a deservedly big ego. Absolutely. Uh, and yeah. you know what's funny, man? We're walking through his house uh, after we interviewed him. We were filming some behind-the-scenes stuff. of his. I call it the trophy room where all of his grandies, mm-hmm. thousands of gold and platinum oh, album cars. And I'm like, I was, I was like, Dave, you, you've had so much success. Here you are, you're able to retire if you want. I was like, why do you keep doing this? And he was just like, he looked at me, he goes, this is going to sound very egotistical and crazy, but he goes, I'm looking at all the stuff on the walls right now as we're talking and all these Grammys everywhere. And I think to myself, it's not, there's not enough. Oh, really? He goes, he goes, if you compound my 40, 50 year career and I'm looking at this stuff, it's like, I should have more, oh, you know, man. that's what I strive for is more. And he goes, I surround my people, you know, myself, I surround myself with people who are better than I am because it just makes me that much better. Yeah. So that really touched me that he, he acknowledged, you know, that as engineers and arrangers or whatnot, you know, were bigger than him yeah. and really, you know and put a spotlight on those guys. So a lot of people don't do that. You know, it's amazing. I was, um, I thought it was really interesting him talking about making the transition from being a hired gun to being a producer. Cause those first three albums that he made, I think he said he made $5,000 that year. They were all stiffs built. JP Morgan. And I forget what the other one was. 
J.P. Morgan, uh, Champlin, and... The first one on that, uh, you kind uh, of yeah. fan him yeah. out. I don't mean to sound critical at all, but it's rare to hear him be kind of humbled like that. Yeah. And sure. to have him admit, you know, yeah, my first three were stiffs and I made no money. Um, you don't hear that coming from the great David Foster very often. I thought that was a really interesting layer to his story that we don't get to hear very often. For sure. Yeah, yeah I was taken aback. Yeah. Know, because I've heard the same stories you've heard, you know. Yeah. And uh, but it was so cool, man. I, I walked in a little nervous, like, oh man, what, am I going to get anything out of this guy? Mm-hmm. And again, you don't see hardly any of it in the movie, unfortunately. But uh, I got to tell you, man, there's some uh, some intro, like, you know, the band Chicago. You oh, know? of course. None of the none of the instrumentalists played on the albums. Those were all hired musicians that came I didn't in. Realize that. Yeah, oh the, man. Just, you know, he's like, he's like, look, man, I'm hired to deliver results and results are hit records and you guys are not, you know, stepping up to the game. So I got to bring musicians in that that can do it. And, you know, they were, they resented them for many years, but I think now they don't care. Sure. Of course. Residuals are good. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we got to talk about Billy Joel. Um, When you went into this, did you already know that you sort of wanted to make the spine of your movie Billy's backup band because it could have been anyone. You could have picked someone, you know, you could have picked uh body rates band or you did do air enough, but maybe the rest of Mellencamp or Jackson Brown or somebody like that. Sure. Why well, Billy Joel? Well, I mean, let's, let's put it this way. I mean, look, Billy Joel is, I think he may be the, the biggest selling solo artist of all time. Really? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, or at least domestically is I mean, huge. And I, I'm a huge Billy Joel fan. I love his music. I think he's right. brilliant. I mean, some of the melodies and the songs are just crazy. However, a friend of mine who's a drum tech was telling me about it. I told him about the movie. He goes, dude, you got to get Liberty DeVito. Have you ever heard of the story? I'm like, no. So he gives me some stuff to research on online. I'm like, oh, my God, this is insane. This can't be real. So I'm looking for, for Liberty's manager or publicist, and he doesn't, he doesn't even have one. Mm-hmm. So found him on Facebook. So yep. I just a private message. I'm like, hey, you know, my name's Fran. I'm doing this documentary. Your story seems really unique. Would you be up to to talk? And he pinged me the next day and was like, yeah, let's do this. You no know? way. Yes. So we, I interviewed him the first time around in Los Angeles, and it it was such a volatile piss and vinegar interview from his side because uh-huh. he was still really pissed off about what had happened. That I couldn't use any of it. Really? I, yeah, well, I called him. Yeah, oh man, it was <laughs> for legal reasons. Did he yeah. come back to you and say I didn't? I got too emotional. How did no. you know you couldn't use it? No, it was me that called him and told him he got too emotional. Oh and, wow! So yeah, I'm like, look, you know, this I, this would get you in trouble if I really put this out. So would you agree to do another interview and maybe we can uh, just sit down and have a. We, we, I don't want to say we were rushed there in that first interview, but you know there was a lot of people lined up that day to to talk to me, and okay. I got about a good hour with them. And I was like, you know, I really feel like you'd be a central centerpiece of this this film because you know it's a huge story. Sure. So he agreed, and uh, my my crew and myself went out to Brooklyn where he lives and spent a whole week out there with him. And it had been about a year since we interviewed him, a year and a half prior. And since then, he had started seeing a, a life coach mm. who got him in check. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he's in a really good place now. He's got a band called the Slim Kings. 
that he's really, really happy about. They're doing pretty well. And uh, is a new father, believe it or not. He's huh. 60-something. Wow. So he still got that, too. Okay. But, yeah, his story, man, just talking to him, uh, you know, he got so emotional about it back in the day that he took every one of his gold and platinum albums and smashed them over the coffee table. All really? Oh. Well, I can understand. Yeah. I mean, he was just distraught, you know. Mm-hmm. It was... He didn't understand what was going on, and the, the rug was pulled up. You, know, you got to remember, thirty-one years. Yeah. And these guys, they knew each other since they were teenagers. You know, yeah. and there was some real tragedy in that story as well with Doug Stagmeyer, and then you know Russell Jabbers. He didn't get a phone call. You know, he found out on the radio. Yeah, I, you know, and and just so the, the listeners know, and anybody watching that watch Hired Gun, I did reach out to Billy Joel mm-hmm. just to be neutral and, and sure, whatnot. He was interested. You know, he goes, can I see the transcripts? And if you have any scenes cut, can I see them? That's when I got a little nervous because it was Hmm. all bad stuff. But, uh, again, I wanted to be real with the guy. So I'm like, okay, you know, I want to give him his opportunity to tell his side of the story. So I sent everything over to him. And about three days later, I get an email from Eastman and Eastman, who are the Beatles attorneys. Oh, boy. Billy Joel's attorneys as well with a kind of a cease and desist. You know, fortunately for us, we don't have to take anything out because we okay. did not legal and it's all within yeah. our I reached out to him more time. I'm like, you know, look, this is this is getting ready to go, the final cut, so I want to give you one more opportunity and he you know, he declined. So yeah. And from what I hear, he's he has seen the movie and hasn't really rebutted anything or I wonder, was the reason for him basically cutting ties with all of his bandmates was it really the aftermath of him getting screwed out of so much money was it this thought of like i've lost all these millions of dollars i'm not going to do that again i have this band that i pay and i've heard other interviews with liberty that billy didn't actually even pay that well to begin with probably enough to live off of but not like extravagantly and billy's kind of thinking i'm not going to lose all this money again and no one's coming out to see russell javers on guitar they're coming to see me And so I I can eliminate all these expenses and hire much cheaper guys to back me on my, like, you know, semi-annual Madison Square Garden shows. You know, if you're asking me, from what I know on the inside a little bit, Uh and my intuition, I think it's, yeah, he got screwed all those millions. I mean, he was literally had lint in his pockets. That's Mm -hmm. it. He had no money. And, you know, Liberty had just gotten divorced and literally gave his ex-wife every dime he had so liberty had lint in his pockets and billy had obviously has a new manager now because the other one ripped him off so he's got a new reputable one and they're looking ways to cut cut funds you know and then liberty comes along is like hey man if any bread falls on the floor crumbs or dollars yeah just sweep them my way it's pretty ballsy thing to say when the boss just lost 90 million dollars and you're you gave all your money to your ex-wife that's my interpretation of yeah. it. We'll okay. never know. Uh, that, and to me, it's the only thing it could be. And let's not forget, you know, Billy was a little hostile back in the day. Sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They probably just had enough. And of course, you know, according to Liberty and some of the guys, when the new management came in, they're like, you know, why are you paying these guys so much money? You can go get this guy for, you know, yeah. 600 bucks a week to play. Who wouldn't want to play with you? Is the question. It's your name on the marquee. Right. So that's what I think happened. Mm. It's too bad, too, because those guys were kind of a I mean, they were a band. I think a lot of people knew who his hired guns or his sidemen were. And that's not true for a lot of other solo artists. 
And with his residency in Madison Square Garden going, being as big a deal as it is, it's such a shame that those guys can't, you know, just play a couple times a year and make their nut, you know? Yeah. But that's something I've found in talking to so many people for this show who, again, are sort of more on the fringe because we try to touch on the money side sensitively to all this. And you realize these people, the rock and roll lifestyle does not make for like happy families and happy marriages. You get divorced a couple of times and you have kids and child support and all that money that you just made is going elsewhere. And you got wives with opinions about who you should tour with and what you should be doing and whose wives they get along with. And it becomes this stew of potential negativity that not everyone is privy to. We just hear the music and we love it. And we think, why isn't there more of that? And it's because there's so much politics, interpersonal politics going on behind the scenes that no one knows. Well, that's why I tell everybody, you know, like take for instance, pink or any of these huge touring R and B acts, Lady Gaga, I just saw here. uh, One of the guys in our film is, flying with her now but you're looking at all this 10 million dollar production lights private jets stadiums 54 buses 100 tractor trailer trucks the perception is from the audience is like all these guys make millions of dollars Mm -hmm. well let me tell you something (laughs) definitely not that way you know the management the label are making all the dough these musicians man they're just getting paid a fraction of you know what a ticket price, you know, for one ticket. Yeah. So probably the first couple of rows, you know, per week, like nothing. Yeah. And uh, it's just the way it is. Yeah. And that's why, you know, where we're doing Q and A's everywhere and somebody asks advice, especially from Ray, because he, he figured out early on, you know, they're always like, you know, what advice would you give for somebody who wants to be a hired gun? It's like, don't become one. Yeah. You know, get your foot in the door as one, but sure. don't strive to only be a hired gun, man. Cause that's what I was. He goes, you know, I don't have the greatest voice in the world. I just wrote great catchy mm-hmm. tunes, and I'm the star, and I'm making all the money. You know? Yeah, yeah, it's nuts. And you know, another thing I was thinking while I'm watching, I'm thinking, well, why doesn't Liberty Be- Devito have another job? Why isn't he out with so and so doing? You know, who wouldn't want Liberty Devito then to come work for them? And then I thought, you know, the the pool of people who could on Billy Joel's stature who could command that kind of attention and money is getting smaller and smaller by the week with oh, yeah. people dying and industry changing and people getting old. And so there's probably not that many jobs out there anymore for people like Liberty. No, they're not. You know, one of the things he told me early on was like, you know, people look at me and know that I was in Billy Joel's band for all those years. So they assume they can't afford me. Mm. You know, that's not the case. They can't. Yeah. They just need to ask, but I'm not being asked because, you know, people assume I'm just making too much money. Yeah, no. These guys probably, I would assume they make, talking about money, like I said, that's what we kind of focus on a little bit here. I assume everyone's getting a performance royalty. So maybe Liberty's getting a performance royalty from the sales of Billy Joel. And he played on like Bad Out of Hell and stuff. Yeah. You know, those are good albums, but maybe he lost some of that in other divorces. How does... How do people like him and Russell and those guys, how do they make a living today? Well, you know, Liberty is a stay-at-home dad, you is know. He? Yeah, Russell Javers went on to be a toy maker in Hong Kong. What? For a bunch of years. Yeah, man, he became very successful at that. And uh, such a wonderful person, too, man. I love that he guy. He seems like a nice guy. Yeah, he's so sweet. I mean, what you see on camera, that's, that's him. You know, he's just mm-hmm. a, a, a great dude. 
but yeah, they, I mean, you got to adapt, you know, yeah. like myself, you know, I'm just, I don't want to tour anymore. So what am I going to do? Well, right. I'm going to start making films now because I still got to make a living, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, these guys adapt and, and change. look, some of them have to go paint houses or work yeah. at the guitar center in between gigs or be a waiter, a waitress, give lessons online. I mean, whatever they got to do, they scramble. Now I'll tell you who's the hardest working dude in the business, hands down, without a doubt, Kenny Aronoff. That, I believe it. I believe it. Yeah. He never sleeps, man. Every time I look at him or we're, we're talking, like one day I talked to him, he was in Indiana. The next day he's FaceTiming me from Tokyo. I'm like, what are you, do you ever sleep? He's like, oh, man, he's got time to sleep. I'm living life. He loves life. He loves playing. He's passionate about it. It's all he talks about. He doesn't talk about anything else except playing drums and having a good time. And the guy's 65, 66 years old. He looks like, looks like he's 30. Yeah. You know? Yeah, he's amazing too. Yeah. Okay. One thing I thought was really interesting too was Jason Newstead's story. He's such a thoughtful guy too. I really, yeah, he makes for a great interview. And he was saying in there that he was early on making five hundred dollars a week. Right. And um, I mean, is that kind of an industry norm? Is that how does that work? Yeah, I think back in the day it was. You know, that mm. you got to remember that was in the early eighties. Yeah. True. Okay. Yeah, I've known uh, Jason a bunch of years. He. Uh, lives right across the bay in Walnut Creek. Mm. And uh, he had hired me to come in and uh, he did an album called Newstead not long ago. Mm -hmm. Ironically, with the guitar player for Stained, uh, Mike Newshaw. No way. Yeah, he kind of brought me into the fold with that guy. And uh, we hit it off, man. You know, Jason's a cool dude. We, we believe in a lot of the same things and, and kind of hit it off. But he invited me to the studio. He's like, hey, man, we're going to be in here for about six months. I'd love to document it all. And then he found out I was also a photographer by trade. Uh-huh. And uh, I've done a bunch of album covers or whatnot. He's like, would you shoot our album cover too? I'm like, yeah, man. But in interviewing the guy, you know, I called him up. I'm like, look, man, you know, were you ever not a member of Metallica and only a hired gun? He goes, like, yeah. He goes, and don't forget also, I was also a hired gun in Aussie, government school. He goes, I played on, he goes, I even played on a hit song with Tina Turner once. Nobody knows that. I'm like, no what? Way. I didn't know that. Yeah. And I can tell you something else. No, will exclusive here. He said okay. that, uh, he goes, uh, <clears throat> it didn't make the movie, unfortunately. We could make 50 Hired Gun movies, man. I'm telling oh, you. Oh, I'm sure. I'm, I would watch them, too. It oh, deserves yeah. it. Yeah. yeah was, uh, I was like, is there is there anybody that has offered you a gig that you turned down? He goes, yeah, actually. He goes, when John Entwistle died, the Who called me no. first. Called anybody else. I'm like, oh. He goes, he goes, dude, he goes, I was shitting my pants. And I wanted to do the gig, but I'm like, I respect Entwistle too much, man. I can't play that stuff the way he, you know, and honor his music. And then when uh, Tom Hamilton, uh, you know, had cancer, uh -huh. I called him. In Aerosmith. Yeah. yeah. And he turned that down for the same reason. He goes, no. man, legacy, I can't, you know, what, what am I doing here? You know, and lastly, when Lemmy died, they wanted to do like a, a special 30-day motorhead thing and they thought of jason first because you know the metallica guys were just sure in love with motorhead and uh due to jason being in, in news that he couldn't really oh but yeah i gotta tell you man why when, when i interviewed jason jason wears his heart on his sleeve mm -hmm. and he's like you know we had built a trust factor up and he told me a lot of stuff maybe he, he shouldn't have you know <laughs> his interview was so and you saw how intense it was on mm -hmm. screen we sat there for three hours, man. He told me for the, like the day he was born to present time to him exiting and whoever, if you buy the, uh, the Blu-ray or even on iTunes, I think there's, you know, bonus material. Okay. 
the real story of why he left Metallica is there, and it's it it's a punch in the gut, man. Really? Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, it's insane. That's an excellent bonus. Uh, but their whole interview, man, it was just so tense. Even I was tensed up, just gritting my teeth listening to him talk the whole time, and I was just couldn't believe the stuff he was telling me, man. I was just like, oh my god, it's incredible material. Let me ask. I want to ask you a money question. The things that you have made a living doing. And it sounds like if you live in Marin County, you're doing okay. Cause it's expensive up there. Right. A lot of the things you were doing, or maybe even still to this day doing this sort of multimedia videographing with bands and stuff like that in this day and age to me seem like nice to haves versus need to haves. Right. I can't imagine there's too much in a budget for a band to hire someone like you. You're almost a hired gun now yourself. In, right. in a lot of ways, who's helping you fund this movie and who, how are you going to pay your bills going forward from this? Right. You know, look, I won't tell you exactly what I made on the road. But That's I was, fine. Yeah. I was making six figures. Okay. Uh, I didn't always live in Marine County. I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, where it's super cheap to live. Okay. When you open the front door, you're still in Georgia. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> I hate hot weather. I hate humidity. And I was hired, believe it or not, by the uh, Northern California Tourism Board to shoot a commercial. And my job for two weeks was to start at the Golden Gate Bridge and go north all the way up until like Ukiah or wherever it was and just film and stay at each place for a couple days or whatnot. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is the most beautiful scenery, beautiful weather I've ever seen in my life. And I made my way down through San Rafael and spent a couple days here. I'm like, this this is paradise right here. Mm-hmm. So I made it my goal to live here one day. And, uh, you know, I did pretty well. I just saved some stuff. And then I did some other big stuff, you know, like a Dolly Parton live DVD that did really well. Um, yeah, a couple of her album covers. So her and I have a really good working relationship. I do a majority of her her album photography and photo shoots and, and DVDs and whatnot. Okay. And, and then for Hired Gun, you know, prior to this, I did I did a documentary when I first moved to the Bay Area called Battlefield of the Mind, which dealt with uh, the plight of PTSD with these these soldiers and troops from Afghanistan and Iraq. And that was one of the things that stunned me when I moved to the Bay Area. I would go into San Francisco and just literally walk over homeless people. Uh, and yeah. I started engaging in conversations with them and, and quickly found out a lot of them were veterans that were returning from these conflicts. And I was just like, well, there's got to be something we can do about it. You know what I mean? So I made a documentary. And Aaron Lewis from Stained is also a big advocate and supporter of our troops. Mm. And he jumped in as like an executive producer just to put the word out there and raise some money to, to get the film made. And then through that, I met a, a gentleman named Todd Polson, uh, who's in the oil business and just a fantastic gentleman who has an equal lust for our, our troops and veterans and okay thinks it's a shame. So he, he backed a good portion of that movie and we became quick friends, man. He's a cool dude. We get along. We love the same kind of music, a lot of the same stuff. And, uh, uh, we didn't know this about each other, but Alice Cooper to me was like the King growing up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But yeah, I just turned 52. So my era was like Judas priest, Alice Cooper, Alice Cooper was it. Yeah. And Todd, his favorite music, Alice Cooper. So it was just like immediately we had a bond. And, uh, you know, when I started a hired gun, you know, there, there was there was no money. You know, it was okay. just myself and, uh, you know, Jason. Todd was just like, you know, I want to get involved in this. It looks like a lot of fun. So 
you know, Todd funded 90% of this movie. It was not cheap to make, you know, all these, you know, the music licensing. Yeah. That's the, that's what I wondered. Yeah. 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 So that stuff gets expensive. It gets expensive and it gets expensive quick. Yeah. Uh, but he believed in it. Uh, you know, it wasn't really about, you know, of course everybody wants to make their money back, but for him it was the experience. You know, he's, he, he's the Look, both of us are pinching ourselves. We're just like, sure. You believe we got to meet Alice Cooper because he got the ride, you know what I mean? So he got to enjoy everything I got to enjoy, like meeting all these people. And I mean, my God, that the jam that we did at East West Studios with all these musicians together playing. Yeah. If you would have told me in a million years I was going to be able to get 19 of the cast members together in one room to to jam, you know, for over a weekend and pair these guys up, it it was just spectacular. So, yeah, the easiest part of the money was the funding and, uh, you know, it was a, a great ride, you know, cool. okay. every day for it. still. I'm like, man, thank you so much. You know what I mean? It was like, it was so much, and he's just the same thing. He's like, oh, thank you for having me along, man. That's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. Cool. So what are you going to do next? Well, I guess maybe you can't talk about it or tell me something you can talk about. Yeah, I can talk about it for sure. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, my next project is like I told you, man, the, those four guys, Lukather, Foster, Parker, and Graydon. Their stories were too big yeah. for a gun. I just couldn't tell it the way I wanted to tell it. And now I'm going to get to. But in a different way, it's a whole different movie than Hired Gun. Because if you think about it, those guys, man, either wrote, performed, produced, or artists in their own rights mm-hmm. from the baby boomer generation, which is the biggest you know, demographic in America. The 70s, 80s, and early 90s, those guys dominated the charts in yeah. radio and everything else. You know, I feel that they're national treasures and that uh, their story must be told. I agree. So it's not even a movie. It's going to be a docu-series, a four-part series with Luke Thurman, Foster, Parker, Graydon. Excellent. Lee Rittenauer, Leland Scalar, Larry Carlton, J.R. Robinson. Yes. There you go. All these guys, man, their, their stories must be told. And what's going to be cool about it is not only going to tell their whole story, and the, the giant hits that they wrote, arranged, produced, and everything else, but we're going to re-record some of their biggest hits, and I feel like it's my duty to bring in a contemporary artist to sing on those songs, to bring in a fresh generation to really you know, keep, keep these songs alive. Yeah. Not that they need to, because these are all timeless songs, but imagine uh, You Make Me Feel Like Dancing by Leo Sayer yeah. if we're or that, but with like Adam Levine singing it. Oh goodness! Yeah, wow. yeah. Or you've got the love by Shaka Khan, and bring in like I don't know Alicia Keys or somebody. Yeah. Lord, yeah. something. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So you're bringing in a young generation to that's going to watch it because they want to see these artists performing these songs. And they're going to be like, oh wow, what a cool song! I didn't know that the Ghostbuster guy wrote that, or who the hell is Jay Graydon? Right. You know what I mean? It's just wacky dude. Because Jay Gray's out of his mind. You know what I mean? I love yeah. it. He's crazy. You know the story, the whole if <laughs> the the story of writing "Turn Your Love Around" while taking a dump is oh. worth the entire price of whatever your hired guns cost. <laughs> that first of all, I love that song. I had no idea that was the story behind it. And a little tidbit that Lukather throws in about how Jay's OCD. Whenever he takes oh. a dump, he has to take off all his clothes and be naked. Yeah. Yep. And that's just, that is the juiciest bit of trivia I've ever heard. Ever. Like, and that, you know what? 
Here's another fact about those guys. You ready for this? Uh-huh. They've known each other 45, 50 years. They still get together every week for dinner. They're best of friends. They're literally like, you know, Jay Grant's like, yeah, Ray's, I don't, he goes, I don't see color, man. He goes, Ray's my brother. Like, literally, he is my brother. We talk every day. We go to dinner once a week. We are best friends, man. All of us are. We still keep in touch. We still care. We love each other to death. That's crazy. You don't see that, man. A lot of people are bitter, jealous, you know, haters, you know, drama and all this stuff, but not, not these guys, man. And and hearing those guys talk about that and hired gun, you know, I'm bringing back all the crew and cast that really cared about the project and, and put their egos aside and cared about art first. Right. Or the guys that are coming back with hired gun because that, that taught me a valuable lesson. I want those guys back. You right. know? All they've all right. come back. Yeah, so. you pick the perfect people to f- do it further another project with because they're the ones I left wanting to hear more from. Oh, and by the way, I'd love to tell your your, your listeners this as well, and maybe you caught it in the film, but uh, you know, right down the next exit from where I live is Lucas Valley Road. And on Lucas Valley Road, if you take a left and go about seven miles, is Skywalker Ranch. Oh. Right? Uh-huh. So, like, I was like, well, I have to mix the movie somewhere. And a, a valuable lesson I'll learn if there's any filmmakers or even musicians or anybody else that's listening to this is no matter how big it might sound, always ask. Because if you don't ask, they can't say yes. I never go in thinking they're going to say no. Right. I go in thinking they're going to say yes. So, I'd already called a bunch of places in Los Angeles and was resigning to the fact that I'm going to have to go down there and spend two weeks away from home and blah, 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 you know. And and I was just like, you know what? It's right down the street. I'm just going to ask. So I sent it. There's, there's, it's very anonymous. There's just the info at Skywalker Ranch. So I'm sitting there in my email. We had a sizzle reel already created. It was about four minutes long. I sent it in. And the next day I get an email from John Null who's the production manager there that makes the, he's the decision maker. And he goes, Fran, he goes, I just watched this. We must mix this movie. Hmm. He goes, can we submit a bid to you? Now what? I've never, I've never heard that in my life. Usually it's like, <laughs> what is your budget? You know, is the first thing yeah. they sent us a bid that was half of what it would have cost in LA just for the student. Not mentioned lodging and travel and everything else. No the recording or the, the remix uh, budget was half as cheap. So I'm like, Oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. You know? So, uh, and, and everybody else was like, what's it like at Skywalker ranch? I'm like, well, you know, it's like, whatever you think it's like, that's what it's like. Cause this is the truth. I mean, it is absolutely no way. blowing. So to me, it was very important that the movie sound is good. Yeah. As and, uh, it it. yeah, it sounds so good. Good. And, yeah, Scott Lewis was our mixer. You know, if anybody watches House of Cards oh. uh, or has ever seen Inception or Finding Dory 3 or there's a new show on Netflix called Mindhunter by mm-hmm. David. Just came out like a week or so ago. Yeah, that's all Scott Lewis is mixing. No way. That's oh, incredible. Yeah. He's won multi-Emmys and such a cool dude. And he got the movie right away. And also the person that scored our film, because the score is another big thing. Like if you're watching some of these really – emotional scenes in the film with, you know, Jason Newstead talking about Cliff Burton dying. That that Scott Kirkland from the Crystal Method is who we hired. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So he does that show Bones, mm-hmm. television show. He does he's done so much stuff. Fast and Furious Seven. All kinds of cool movies. 
And uh, he loved it, man. And come to find out, Quiet Riot was his favorite band growing up. Oh, Known electronic, you know, EDM, yeah. things like that. But, uh, you know, the Jason Nuisance thing, if you pay attention or go back and rewatch it, you'll hear a bass line playing when he's talking about the tears hitting the newspaper. Uh-huh. And, you know, when you're making a movie, you put in uh, temp music. So I just put in Orion from Master Puppets in there. Mm-hmm. song. Mm-hmm. And Scott's like, dude, you had to put that, that as temp music because now I have to think of something that's just equally as good and that's impossible. You know? Yeah, yeah. Joke. But he's like, let me, give me the weekend. Let me see what I can do. And he goes, I don't play bass. I don't, you know, I got to wrap my head around this. So Monday morning I wake up and in my Dropbox, there's the scene all cut and with the music on it. And I'm like, every hair on my body just rose. I'm like, wow. That's incredible. How did you do this? He goes, well, one of my best friends is uh, Justin Champ, uh, Chancellor from Tool. Oh. So I got him to come in and play this and come up and arrange it for me. And, and I was like, wait, what? Yeah. The, the bass player for Tool's playing on my film and this scene. <laughs> like, so I called Jason Newstead right away. I'm like, Jason, check your email. I just sent you this scene. And, of course, he's like, get me Justin's phone number. I want to call him myself. He goes, I, this is mind-blowing. I can't believe how good this sounds. So uh, they became fast friends. That's amazing. Check this out. Speaking yeah. of Steve Graydon, you know, everybody knows him from the soul of the solo of Peg, Steely mm-hmm. Dan, mm-hmm. right? And if you were paying attention and saw it, you probably won't even notice, but that's not Steely Dan's version of Peg. We got the publishing cleared, and for people who don't know, there's two sides of music. There's the publishing part, which goes to the songwriters, and then there's the master, which is the actual physical you know, uh-huh. of the album, right? Uh-huh. So Walter Becker and Donald Fagan cleared the master for us. Label was like, nope. We're not gonna... So we're like, oh my God, we already had the scene cut. We'd spent thousands of dollars on all the archival and photos and everything else and editing the scene together. So I, I was tripping out. Some of the producers, which blew my mind, they were wanting to use a karaoke version. I'm like, absolutely yeah, not. Right. First of all, this is a music documentary. Yeah. And Steely Dan, and there's going to be musos watching this. You want to put a thing with what sounds like polka music? No I'll, way. You know, I was going to cut the scene. Not for them. Yeah, so I called Jay Graydon one evening. And I was like, man, we have, we have a red flag alert issue here. He's like, what is it? I was like, we can't clear the master. He's like, oh, no. I was like you think you could re-record this thing and make it, you know, do it justice? He goes, yes, I can. I'd love to do it. I mean, got any bread? I'm like, we got a little bit of money. Okay. Okay, he goes, give me a week. Let me chart it out and get everything together. What you hear in Hired Gun is Jay Graydon's re-record of Peg. And you cannot. I challenge anybody oh, yeah. to listen to it and say, that's not Steely Dan's version. I mean, the t- he used the same guitar and same amp that he used 40 years ago. He still has it. Yeah. Oh, incredible. Yeah, I think it's a 64 Gibson, you know, the hollow body red sure. guitar, you know, Fender, Fender Deluxe. No way. That's great. Yeah, just mind-blowing, man. So good. I pinched myself thinking about this film. I'm like, I can't believe that we pulled it off and it was so successful and... You know, yeah. it, it did what it was supposed to and give these guys a lot of love because, uh, I mean, I admire the cast and everything else. Uh, I feel very fortunate that we got to tell their story. You know? I have a couple random questions I want to close it out with. Just look, little nerdy things I picked up on. Okay. Number one, why do you think Richard Patrick of Filter is so unfeeling toward his band when he was in the same situation with Nine Inch Nails? Well, I think 
and in talking to him, you know, there was no manipulation in editing in that scene, by the way. Okay. So to me, at least he's up front with his band because he Very says, it, right? because I tell them up front, you're not going to make any money. You're going to sleep on the bus, blah, blah, blah. So he's telling them up front. Mm-hmm. And maybe once a guy gets in there, he thinks, well, so like a, any relationship, you know, I can change him or I can change her, sure. but uh, he ain't going to change. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't think Trent did that with him. So at least he's given his band okay. the, the respect and courtesy of telling them up front, mm-hmm. not going to happen. Okay. I, I really appreciated how candid and honest he was. Yeah. It just seemed a little brusque, you know, and I just thought, ooh, this guy's not pulling any punches. Yeah, it comes across very rigid, but... That's yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Second question. Did you ever meet Dolly Parton's husband? Never. He does exist. We're sure of this. Uh, I'm told he does. Look, she she has told me he exists. So I have to believe it because she's one of the sweetest people in the world. But yeah. I've never met him. Now I've never seen Dolly Parton out of character. I've spent weeks with this woman in Europe. Yeah. You know, like two, two full weeks. Every waking moment, she is Dolly Parton with the makeup and the heels and the hair and the makeup and everything else. Yeah. Huh. By okay. the way, she's awesome. Oh, I believe it. She's a national treasure. I love Dolly Parton. Oh, listen, when we did her last photo shoot, you know, and by the way, the first time I shot her album cover, there was a film crew in there filming behind the scenes stuff, like just random stuff for a music video. And I don't have any hair. I'm bald. Uh-huh. I just flown in that morning to start the shoot. And she's like, Fran, I got a film crew here, as you can see. I was like, yeah. She's like, we're shooting behind the scenes stuff for a music video. She goes, I just came up with an idea. It's crazy. But I want to know if you'll let me shave your head just to film it. I'm like, wait, you want to shave my head? She's like, yes. I'm like, absolutely. Oh. Yeah. All day. So she had a runner go out and get Barbasol and a straight razor and <laughs> shave my head, man. for about 20 minutes, it was awesome. Dolly Parton is shaving your head. Yeah. I couldn't believe it, man. And I asked her, I was like, you ever shaved anybody's head? She's like, nope. So I'm the only person in the world that's ever had their head shaved by Dolly yeah. Parton. Yeah. And, the, yeah. and her breasts have to be just slapping you in the ear. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah, no, look, she's she's a doll. Uh, oh, I, I believe her. it. I love her so much. I hope nothing I'm joking about makes it sound like I don't respect her because I absolutely do. She's amazing. She is. Okay. Uh, another question for you. What is tattooed on the side of Jason Hook's head? On his uh, face? Yeah, up by, up by his eye. He's got something up there. What is that? Uh, well, I mean, who would... Uh, driven. Driven? Yep. Okay. Okay. Yep. Driven. Okay, good to know. I couldn't make it out. He, uh, I, you know, uh, the super metal stuff is not really my thing. So I wasn't, and neither, unfortunately, is Mandy Moore or Hillary Duff. So I wasn't as familiar with him. But I was so impressed with what a thoughtful person he was. And to have to transition from, at no point in the early days, I'm nothing against Mandy or Hillary, is he really playing the music that he loves? But it's a job. And it's a good job, and he's got to do it. And eventually to be paid off by getting to join five-figure death punch and do what he loves to do and express himself, that's great. I He was one of the people that I came away most um, impressed with. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. And then lastly, did you ever ask Ray Parker Jr. about Huey Lewis? I did. I know, really? I know he gets asked all the time. I just wondered if that was going to come up, and it didn't. Yeah, I did. And what he told me was it was so funny because, you know, his lawyer's like, I guess they came up with a settlement. And, he go, and his lawyer's like, well, you want me to tell you what happened? He goes, no, I don't. Hmm. 
because I can never get in trouble. If I don't know, I can't say okay. what the stuff was. So it's true. You know, his, his lawyer never told him. So mm-hmm. Ray didn't even know. But he did tell me, he goes, whatever, I, whatever we did settle with is micro-fractions of a penny of whatever made on, on Ghostbusters. Was, you know, I'm not going to tell you the number. He told me the number he's made so far on Ghostbusters, and it's like, oh my gosh, it's F-U money. <laughs> you know, he never, ever, ever, and that's just off Ghostbusters, not, not including all the other stuff he's yeah. done. But, uh, you know, I've been to his, his palace. It's not even a house, you know. Got an elevator and a Olympic sized tennis courts. He's got a vineyard, you oh know, calabasas. It's beautiful, man. He's done very well for himself. Good. Great family, man. Loves his kids and, and really and he really cares, man. Like we, we did a screening in uh, Nashville at Belmont, which is a big uh music and film school. They have a big uh, curriculum there for that. And uh you know, you just said, man, his son came to the screening and uh just a good family, man. Good. I love him a lot. Okay. Now, lastly, I just want to know what the future is of this particular movie. Hired Guns, if people have it, don't know, they can go out to iTunes and buy it. But is it going to come to Netflix? Is it going to go to theaters? Is it straight? To, is it done? Is the run of its life done or is there more? No, 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 not at okay. all. Man. I hope this movie lives on forever. It's just a, a cult thing. But, uh, you know, we did do our theatrical via um, Fathom events on June 29th. Oh, nice. Yes, yeah, 320 theaters. Great. Uh, we did dozens and dozens of film festivals all over the world. Right now, it's, I can't even name all the platforms that's on uh, for streaming. Sure. Okay. I mean, Xbox, PlayStation, uh, iTunes, Amazon. And you can buy the physical at Amazon and Best Buy and Walmart and everywhere else. Just go online and, and purchase it. And by the way, if you do, there's, there's a lot of really cool bonus material. Good. Yeah, some really insightful stuff. More stuff with Steve Lukather, Greg Fillingaines, uh, Jason Newstead, several other guys. Just just really good material. Uh, and yes, it is coming to Netflix. I can't Excellent. really say the date, but it's coming up soon. Okay. We're still trying to uh, push as much physical as and my distributor sure. would if I gave the date. But okay. uh, And then, you know, like I told you earlier, we did a bunch of screenings for the Grammy chapters. Good. For your consideration. Nice. Higher Gun is is uh, on the ballot right now, and I think voting's happening as we speak. Excellent. Good. So well, it deserves it. it. Yeah, well, look, if we get a nomination, I'll be thrilled, uh, and I'll be thrilled mostly for our cast. Sure. Uh, you know, that means people will have seen this movie and understand their contributions and, and what they help these, these stars accomplish. Yeah. Just not them. For, you, know, you know, look at Billy Joel. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, look, thanks for putting out a really good movie. It's so good. And I, I just wanted to share it with my listeners that it was well worth their attention. And I love the story. So thanks a lot for talking to me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You bet. And when Titans of Radio comes out, man, I'd love to come back. Oh, on. please. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That would be so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love so, it. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, look, I, hey, people like you are the reason, you know. I love doing these these interviews on these wow. podcasts stuff because this is where all the nerds come in. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it's I really these are the people who really listen and pay attention. So uh, this Good. is a great format. Cool. Well, thank you for giving me your time, Fran. I love it. I'm a fan. Thank you, man. I appreciate it so much. All, all right, right, John. Take care. We'll talk to you later. See you, bud. Bye-bye. Bye. There you have it, Fran Strine of Hired Gun. Wasn't that interesting? Guys, go see this movie. As he mentioned, it's streaming. Everywhere. You can buy it on Amazon, iTunes, 
wherever. Just find the movie and watch it. Now, we are giving away three Blu-ray DVD copies of this film. I want you, after you've heard this, go on to the Facebook page. I will be posting a link on there. We're going to have a random drawing. So anyone who wants to enter to win can go to the site on the, on the Facebook page, register, and on Friday, the day after Thanksgiving, we're going to have a drawing and we're going to draw three winners. Now, in order to be eligible to win, you have to like the, the Hustle's Facebook page. Okay? I say that because I don't want just people who are sort of just hearing this episode and leaving to win. I want you to feel invested. So in order to win, you have to like our Facebook page and uh, then you'll be eligible. Okay? And if you've won, we will announce three winners a week from today, Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. Also, more good news. He mentioned Ray Parker Jr. We're working on that. I, Ray has been at the top of my wish list since I started this thing, and uh, it looks like it's going to happen. I'm not 100% sure when, but that's gonna, that interview should be coming up in the next few months, so I'm excited about that. All right, everybody, we'll be back next week with a regular interview on Tuesday like we normally do. And, as always, got to say, huge thanks to Yan the Man for putting this all together. Thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.